Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers and I'm the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're in our series, Eyes on Jesus, where we're jumping into the topics of anxiety, worry, and fear, and how we can fight those things with Jesus on our side. So today, we're getting to the heart of the matter. Why is it that we worry? How can we practically begin to look to Jesus to take care of our every need, just as God's word says in Matthew 6, 25 through 34? We're glad you've joined us as we dive into the answers to these questions in today's message. Good morning. So we're talking about worry today, and I thought that the best way to engage this moment was to do some math. Now you're all really worried, probably for me in this moment. So a couple of weeks ago, um, my daughter, the oldest, she's a freshman in high school. Um, and so we've actually jumped into a couple of different changes in our journey this year. First of all, she's our, our first kid to go to high school. That's a big deal. Um, those of uh, you who know us well will remember that we homeschooled our kids. And so she's been home, you know, K through eight. And so not only is she going to public high school for the first time, going to high school the first time, she's actually going to public school for it the first time. And so she's taking all these classes. You know, we're two months in. Things are going exceedingly well until she brings to me a math problem and asks for my help. And I immediately begin to pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, help me not foul this up. Give me a dad win. And as we lean into this series, that's ultimately forcing us to understand what it means to worry in our lives. I immediately began to worry. Um, And so she presents me with this math problem. And it's basically a word problem. And I'm going to track along with her as long as I can to make sure that I can help. Um, Some of you are worried for me right now because you don't know how this is going to go. Well, you should be. Okay. So she tells me that basically there's this person standing in front of a building. And because it's Nashville, I immediately begin to think that it's the Bat Building. And so she uh, tells me that there is a person standing from the Bat Building, you know, so far away. And we'll call this ninth grade girl person. Okay, so here we are. This is the information that she's provided. Of course, we know that this is a 90 degree right angle. And we're actually given the degree at which she's standing, obviously from the ground and then from the building. So she has all of the information that she needs to solve the problem. How far is ninth grade girl from the bat building? But that's not the question that the problem asks. You see, the problem introduces another person who's standing a greater distance from the bat building. And we'll see this person right here, a little silhouette. Hey, there you go. What's up? Okay. So this person, we obviously know the 90 degree right angle is the same. We're actually given another set of angles to understand how far this person is from the bat building. And she has all of the information that she needs to solve the problem. How far is person B, my friend, from the bat building? But that's not what the problem asks. The problem wants to know how far is person A from person B. Oh, thank you, Lord. You see, I have no idea what kind of complicated mathematical trigonometry equation is going to help us figure out how far this person is from the building or how far this person is from the building. But if she can do that, all she's got to do is subtract to figure out how far this person is from this person. A lot of times in life, we're looking for the complicated, big-time formulas that are going to help us solve all the issues we have in life, and sometimes it's just as simple as subtraction. You see, so what if this wasn't the bat building? What if this was whatever 
big, nasty monster problem that you're up against in life? What if this is the symbol of all of your doubt and all of your worry and all of your fear, and this is no longer any other ordinary person, but this is Jesus? You see, the deal with our lives and the big monster challenges and problems that we face is not how big they are and how close we are to them, but ultimately, how close are we to Christ? And so we dive into scripture today, a couple of different passages. We're going to launch out with Hebrews chapter 12, which is where we were last week when all of the campus pastors got to kick off this series called Eyes on Jesus. And then we're going to land for the bulk of our time in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to put some fingers or a piece of paper in both of those passages, because we're going to bounce back and forth between each of them, or maybe your Bible comes with one of those handy dandy ribbons and you're going to like use it to mark one place while we go to the other. We're going to dive in to Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1 this morning, and ultimately the idea of what it means to run with perseverance, the race that's been marked out for us with the elimination of worry in our lives. It says in Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and Pastor Jeff last week in our Franklin campus literally talked about the idea of, hey, anytime there's a therefore in scripture, you have to ask yourself a simple question, what's it therefore and what does it mean? Well, this therefore is there because in Hebrews chapter 11, we get this long litany, this laundry list of all of these Old Testament characters who in spite of the fact that they're flawed like us, we should take comfort in that, just a bunch of messed up people, they're remembered as people of faith who left a powerful legacy for us of what it means to follow God and live life well. Therefore, since all of those people came before us and their lives are marked by faith, let us, we're surrounded by this incredible witness, this incredible incredible legacy of faith. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. That word perseverance is literally the Greek word that means steadfastness, constancy, consistency, endurance. Some of your Bible translations are going to say endurance this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. It's literally the characteristic of a person who goes on a journey and isn't swayed by all of the distractions that are around him, but he remains deliberate in his pursuit of what his purpose is. He's loyal to the faith in the process in spite of incredible trials that come his way. So let us run with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's where the title of this series comes from. Maybe last week you picked up the, the copy of a book called Eyes on Jesus by our lead pastor Jeff Simmons at the Franklin Campus, and, and we want you to take that. We still have copies available. If you didn't pick up one last week, pick up one now. We're going through them in community groups this season. This idea of eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter. Some of your Bible translations say author or founder. Literally, he started this whole thing. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose. It means to grow weak. So that you just don't get weakened by the problems that you face in the world, that you do not grow weary and lose heart. There can't be a greater set of dark circumstances. We, we can't imagine such opposition than Christ enduring the cross And here's how we're inspired to run our race through whatever the world throws at us. The problem, it's in your notes this morning, maybe your person likes to fill in blanks as you go because you want to stay awake and you want to stay focused and dialed into what we're talking about. The problem with problems is perspective. 
The problem with problems is always our perspective about those problems. You see, the farther we are from Jesus, the, the, the bigger our problems seem. The, the, the farther we are from Jesus, the, the, the bigger our problems seem. And when you get right up on that building, you can imagine just how big and monstrous it actually is. It goes so far, you can barely see how high. The farther we are from Jesus, the, the bigger our problems seem. And yet, the closer we are to Jesus, the closer we are to Jesus, the smaller our problems not seem, but actually are. The closer we are to Jesus, the smaller our problems actually are. You know that little driving down the interstate, you look to the side of your mirrors to see who's coming up behind you, and there's that little fine print at the bottom of it, and it says this. Objects in mirror are what? Closer than they seem. You mean the the big 18-wheeler that's on my tail? is actually closer than it appears. This, this, this problem, this challenge that I'm facing in life is actually closer and bigger and worse than it actually is. There could not be worse news for any of us. This thing that you're battling is really worse than you think it is. This challenge that you're facing is really closer than you think it is. That guy that's chasing me has literally almost caught me. We look at our problems the way that the world prescribes and we automatically understand that they are bigger than anything that we imagine. And maybe instead, Maybe instead of focusing on how close we are to the problems or how big the problems seem in life, how monster crazy they feel in life, we could instead focus our eyes on Jesus and ultimately understand that he is there for us when we do encounter those problems. See, there's a difference. There is a difference between looking for a solution because don't we want that? Don't we want a solution to our problems? Don't we want the elimination of our problems? Don't we want the removal of any of the challenges that we face in life? Don't we as parents want to do that for our kids, just remove any challenges that they ever may face? Everybody's heard of helicopter parenting, the idea that we just hover around everything that they're doing. I've actually heard recently of lawnmower parenting, that I will mow down any problem that is in your way. (laughs) We want that, and we do that. And the real, the real issue is not that we're looking to solve our problems, but ultimately that we forget how to trust our Savior. There's a difference between looking for solutions and trusting our Savior always. The, the ultimate solution to our problems is perseverance. Hebrews 12 gives it to us. It's the idea that we don't get to eliminate the problems, we don't get to remove the problems, but that we learn how to better persevere through the problems. It's a challenge in faith when you realize that what God is doing in your life is not eliminating all challenges, but helping you become the kind of person who can weather those challenges and still remain a person of hope. That's what Paul writes for us in Romans chapter five, starting with verse three. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That word glory literally means, I don't know how in the world we would ever do this, but that we would celebrate, that we would exalt, that we would even boast, that we'd even humble brag about the challenges that we face in life, that we would even understand that there is somehow supposed to be glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Oh, so you mean the thing that I'm supposed to have in order to be able to run the race marked out for me comes from enduring suffering? Yeah, and then perseverance produces character, and character, hope, 
And hope does not put us to shame. Hope is what the whole world is hungry for, and it's what we get to be the dispensers of. And the only way that we're going to be the dispensers of that hope is if we learn how to persevere through our problems and develop the kind of character that consistently follows Jesus, regardless of what the world throws at us. Hold on. What this ultimately means is that Kelly Clarkson was theologically accurate when she said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's a true statement. It's a true statement. Apostle Paul said it first, but she gets some credit. It, the things that we walk through in life are ultimately meant to make us stronger in our perseverance, stronger in our character, and also stronger in our hope. So how does worry factor into the equation? How does worry factor into the equation of the challenges that we face in life? Ultimately, that worry is the enemy of so much in life. Worry is the enemy of so much in our lives. In fact, this week I I read physiologically and physically all of the challenges that worry can present to us. It says, medical journal, excessive worry causes the body's sympathetic nervous system to release hormones into our bloodstream like cortisol. And, And these hormones can do a couple of things. They can boost our blood sugar. I hear that's a bad thing. And our triglycerides, that's the fat that's in our blood that can ultimately be used as fuel for the body. But those hormones can also cause other physical reactions such as difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, and twitching. I've got three out of these 13 right now, at least. (laughs) And when the excessive fuel that is in your blood is not used for physical activities, side note, whenever we're worried, probably the first antidote in that moment is to pray. The second is get out there and get some exercise, for crying out loud. When the excessive fuel in our blood isn't used for physical activity, the chronic anxiety and outpouring of stress hormones can have a serious physical consequence. The suppression of your immune system, like if you're, if you're constantly plagued by worry, you're less likely to be able to fight off the germs and the diseases that are out there. Digestive disorders, nobody wants that. Muscle tension, short-term memory loss, can I get an amen? Premature coronary artery disease and heart attacks. Worry, as simple and as small as we make it, can have an incredible impact on our lives. And and, and not to exclude any of the physical challenges that can come from being a person of worry, it is also the enemy of faith. It's in your notes, the the enemy of trust, the enemy of joy. It's the enemy of your growth as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's the enemy of your relationships here on earth. It's the enemy of you developing endurance in your walk with Jesus. It's the enemy of the purpose that he has for you in life. It's the enemy. It robs you of your confidence and your hope, just to name a few. Worry really is an enemy, and it's not only an enemy. It's a tool that the enemy uses to distract us from what God wants to use us for in our lives. So we go to Matthew, because Jesus addressed worry. 
He addressed it in his longest recorded discourse, his longest recorded sermon in scripture. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount where literally crowds were gathered on a hillside wanting to hear a teaching from Jesus because according to Matthew chapter 7, he spoke as one who had authority over the words, not like their teachers and the Pharisees and the scribes, like all the people in their lives, in their day, in their age who tried to help them understand Old Testament scripture, Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament law, Old Testament understanding of how that they were supposed to walk every single day in their lives, all of those people who gave them solution after solution after solution to the problems that they were facing in life, none of that seemed to work. And yet Jesus came and spoke as someone who had authority and they were marveled at his words because he was different than any other teacher, any other healer, any other diagnostician, any other person who ever wanted to offer them a solution. Jesus gave something different. And in that discourse, he included a section on worry in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. This would have been a welcome illustration for any of the hearers in the audience that day because they would have immediately gone back to Psalm chapter 84 that says a word that we sometimes sing in a song. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand years, like a thousand elsewhere. Like I would, I would literally rather be in your presence for one day than anywhere else blessed for the rest of my life because the presence of God was so good. That passage of scripture says even the birds find their home in the temple. And that was because the grand temple that Solomon had built had these massive walls and this grand ceiling, but they didn't have HVAC back then. So they had to leave holes at the top for ventilation. You get it, right? Okay. So there was these holes at the top for ventilation and birds would swoop in and they would make their nests there. And they would literally have their young and feed their baby birds there. They would be able to get closer to the Holy of Holies and the altar of God than even mankind would have been allowed to be. And so these people are saying, God takes care of those birds. And if he does, he says, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? We already gave the long laundry list of what worry takes from us. Do you know what worry gives to you? Nothing. So he says, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Old Testament reference. You imagine what this guy must have looked like. You imagine the riches that he had. You imagine the life that he lived. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans? That word is is Gentiles. Literally the Jewish audience of that day would have heard anybody but us. The rest of the world is hard after these things. The pagans are running after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Jesus has just spoken to them and taught them how to pray and he invited them to do something that they never would have done any other moment in their entire lives. Approaching the throne of God and saying instead of dear God, Heavenly Father, our Father, the invitation to approach the great God of this universe as a Father that loves and cares for His children. He says, your Heavenly Father, not just your Lord on high, not just maker of heavens and earth, not just omnipotent, omniscient being of all everything, sovereign Lord, but Heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. On the outset, there's some some context clues that help us understand this passage even better, especially the placement of these illustrations. And ultimately, what we understand is that worry confronts us when things matter to us. Nobody's worried about the things that don't matter to them. Uh, Nobody's worried about the things that they don't care about. Worry confronts us when things are important to us. And that's why he gives the illustration of food and clothes and, and drink, like the things that are our basic needs in life. And this comes literally right on the heels of a passage where Jesus is giving them instructions about values. You see, his message, his instruction about worry follows a teaching on values. This whole idea of what do we need in life and what is important to life. He explains in that passage before that a man cannot serve both God and money or God and mammon or God and personal wealth. And then he comes back and says, even the pagans know how to run hard after these things. And we do. We know how to run hard after the things that we need in life. We know how to run hard after the things that we want in life. We know how to run hard after the things that we think are going to get us by in life. But ultimately, our Heavenly Father knows that. We need them. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, worry confronts us when things matter to us. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you, oh, don't worry, it's not that big of a deal. And they're really dismissing the thing that you think is important in the moment. Well, worry is a big deal to you in that moment because that thing is a big deal. And even though person A over here doesn't understand why it's a big deal, if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. And we don't diminish or dismiss the things that people are worried about, but we also don't reconcile the fact that worry is a good solution to it because it's not. In fact, worry is not the right response even to the right things. These are basic needs. Our our food, our our clothes, our everyday lives. Worry is not the right response even to the right things. It says in verse 31, do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. People run hard after those things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. I look out today and I know there are needs. I I know there are significant points of concern. I know that there are significant points of worry. Last week in the video teaching that kicked off this series, I mentioned Genesis chapter 11. That's where I've been this month. We talked about the Tower of Babel and how the tower was built saying, hey, let us come and make a name for ourselves. And even though the tower fell, the mindset stayed because that's what we've all been working on for so long. And that made it to Genesis chapter 21. And it's literally the story of a woman named Hagar. And so you understand who she is in the narrative. See, Abram and Sarah, God had made them an incredible promise that they would be the father and mother of incredible nation of his people. And yet, even in their old age, they remained completely childish and unable to conceive. And so here's what happened. Sarah just says, hey, since I have not been able to and probably will not be able to birth you a child, why don't you take my maidservant Hagar and have a baby with her? And that can be the seed. And God said, no, this child is not going to be the one that's going to help make a nation that's ultimately going to rise up the Savior. That's going to be another son who literally is going to come from Sarah. And yet Abram stepped outside of the bounds, had a baby with Hagar, and the baby was Ishmael. And so you get to the point of the story where 
Sarah has been able to conceive. They have a son named Isaac, and they're ready to get rid of this other family. And you read in Genesis chapter 21 that Abram literally walks her out to the front door of the desert, gives her a little bit of food, and provides for her a skin full of water and sends her on her way. When the water was gone, what happened in the story is Hagar, she sits her little boy under a bush and walks a bow shot away. Now, I don't know how far a bow shot is. Like, for me, a bow shot would probably be this front row. Like, I don't know that I could literally get it much farther than you guys right here. But I'm imagining, just for the sake of argument, that when Scripture talks about a bow shot, it's talking about an experienced archer. And that person could literally get it, like, I don't know, way over to, um, like, Richland Parker, Hattie B's Chicken. So, like, we're talking, like, way far away. So, like, how she literally goes far away from her son where she can no longer see him in the distance. And she cries out saying, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. She's worried. She's a mother, and we can all relate to that because we worry about whether or not we'll be able to provide for our kids. We worry about the legacy that we'll leave to the next generation. We worry about the world that we're leaving them behind in. I can understand where she is in this moment, and right there, in her darkest moment of worry and fear, the Bible says in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 21 that God heard the boy crying. Hagar's way off in the distance, a bow shot away, like an experienced bow shot away, sobbing. And God hears the boy crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And I think that same word is here for us today, too. Like, whatever your monster is, whatever your challenge is, whatever your fear is, whatever your point of concern is, whatever your biggest worry is, God hears you. He hears it. In Matthew chapter 6, he knows what you need. He hears you, and he knows what you need. And then God says to Hagar, he says to her, lift up the boy and take him by the hand. Hold on, wait a minute. Hagar's over here, and the boy is a, a bow shot, like an experienced marksman bow shot away. How's she going to lift him up and hold his hand? Don't you know that when God hears your cry, he often invites you to go right back to the problem. Right back to the face of it. Right back to the, I can't watch him die, Lord. Right back to the biggest challenge. And that's where his greatest provision comes from. He invites her to go right back to it. Lift up the boy, take him by the hand, how many times are we, like Hagar, trying to get a bow shot or more away from our problems when the Lord wants to help us stand up and address them? Something that we may not easily understand or be able to reconcile today about worry is also this. By definition, worry is self-seeking rather than seeking first. 
by definition, literally the word is self-seeking. It's the Greek word marinmao, and it literally is a verb that means to be anxious, to be troubled with cares, to care for or to look out for a thing, like to literally be so busy micromanaging the details of your life, worrying about every single potential problem and perceived issue and crazy challenge that is obviously closer than you think it is. Like all of the challenges that come our way, managing all the details, and another part of that definition is this, to seek to promote one's own interests. We don't resonate with the idea that worry is selfish, but we ought to ultimately consider what it seeks to promote. Because Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his interests, his agenda, his purpose. Run that race instead. Don't get distracted by all the things that seek to make you worried and upset, but seek that agenda first, not your own interest and your own desires. That, that word, that verb for worry literally comes from the noun that means our worries or our anxieties or our cares, and that literally comes from a root verb that means to divide. Because worry divides us. And according to Matthew chapter 6, you can't serve both God and money. You can't love both God and money. You can't have a dual allegiance on the throne of your life. You can't be a person who has a divided heart. You can't be a person who has two gods seated on your throne, you and him, because he will always win. What are you worried about today? What are you the most hung up on today? What's your biggest monster building today? What's the thing that's creeping up behind you today? What's the biggest challenge that you face? What's the thing that's dividing your heart and making it impossible for you to seek God first? Do you feel crippled by it? Probably. Do you feel hamstrung by it? Probably. And that's because Mark 3.25 says this, if a house is divided, it's marizo to divide. It's where we get the word marinmao, to be anxious, to be concerned, to care. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Ultimately, for us and the problems that we face in life, it's all about our perspective about how big those problems are. And the greatest thing that any of us could ever do is to stop staring directly at our problems and to turn around and realize where Jesus is. And trust me, no matter how far he may seem from your challenge, he is always in exactly the right spot to address it. You just have to seek him first. The idea of first in that passage of scripture is literally protos, it's primary. And it doesn't mean for us that we seek God first and then right underneath it we can nestle our agenda. It doesn't mean that we seek God first and that right underneath it we can like butt up our concerns and our cares and our micromanagement of whatever kind of daily issues we face. It doesn't mean that we can seek God and his agenda first and then somehow come right up in it as a, a, as a nearly second place finish. It literally means first and only. Seek him first means seek him only. And all the things, all those other things, all those other needs which he hears will be taken care of. They'll be added to you as well. Are you somebody today who is positioned to have your eyes on Jesus? 
or, or, or are you too focused on the problem at hand? It, it's never how close you are to the biggest challenge you've ever faced in life or the biggest concern that you have in life. It's ultimately how close are you to Jesus for him to address all the concerns that we have in any given season. Would you pray with me? Father, the beauty and the blessing of a congregation this size is that I get to know people and their stories. And I know full well that I just spoke a message about the elimination of worry in our lives. And somebody out there is facing an incomprehensible illness, wondering how in the world they're ever going to stop focusing solely on that. I get it. I I know full well, God, that there are people out there who are literally starting over with nothing. And they're being chased by every challenge, every storm, every demon that they've ever faced in life. And the objects in their rearview mirror as they seek to get life right are way closer than they need to be. I get it. And we're saying to them, hey, don't worry, God's got this. I know that there are moms and dads out there who are dreading life for their kids because their kids aren't here. Their kids are older and their kids are grown. And there's no telling how far apart from Jesus those kids are living. How in the world can that mother go to sleep tonight not worried for her son or her daughter? (laughs) There are young adults, God, facing big, major, life-altering, expensive decisions, wondering how in the world they're ever going to figure out what's next tomorrow, much less what's next for the rest of their lives. God, I get it. And so today, Father, we don't want to diminish any of the problems that people face, because they're huge. Buildings are big, God. The barriers are monumental. The demons are real. We don't diminish any of that. We just magnify you instead because you're bigger than those things. You're bigger than those things. You hear us. You know what we need, and you and your goodness respond. And so, Father, help us. Help us to preserve faith. Help us to seek out physical health. Help us to understand what it means to persevere and to not be distracted and to throw off the sin of worry that so easily trips us up and tangles us up from finishing the race that you have given us in life. Help us to know what it means to seek you first, to put you first, to know you first, to trust you better when the stakes are bigger, and to know that you've got this regardless. It's in the holy and perfect precious name of Jesus that we ask for the strength to persevere. Amen. At this time, we're going to enter into a a moment of giving in the life of our church. This is when the folks who call Rolling Hills Community Church right here in Nashville, their their home, their family, um, they give back to God's work here to continue the ministry that happens from here. And and so as ushers come forward with baskets that'll be passed, they'll deposit tithes and offerings for those of you, particularly first-time guests. What we really just ask for is that connection card. We want to know who you are and be able to follow up with you later this week. And beyond that, we want those prayer requests. We want that work. We want that concern. We want that disaster. We want that trial. We want that challenge so that we can lift it up, so that we can speak it out loud, so that we can say to the great God of this universe, by your side and on your behalf, will you hear and will you address? We know that he will. 
And we count it as a privilege to be able to pray together with you and for you throughout the week. And so it's an honor to be able to do that. And as these guys come, we're actually going to have members of our prayer team make their way over here to the New Year sign on my left, your right. And you're going to see them. It's going to be obvious. They're wearing a, a lanyard that says prayer. And at the conclusion of our service, they would welcome nothing more than to be able to pray with you and for you on the spot. And so don't hesitate from making your way over there. We're about to sing a closing song. The baskets will be passed. The prayer team will be available. Um, and I would love nothing more than to lead us now. Father, thank you for the chance to give. Thank you for the chance to connect and to participate. We pray that you would take the gifts, the tithes and the offerings that are given in the manner in which they are intended freely out of obedience as an example of how much we literally trust you. And Father, would you take every tear, every request, every worry, every concern that's written on a card and the ones that are just written on our hearts. And would you remind us every day that you're a God who hears and that you're enough. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.